continue to preach through this great letter of the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> We've been talking for several weeks now here in chapter 8, and, and you know, what we find here in chapter 8 is the greatness of God. The greatness of God in salvation. And Romans, uh, when we were in verse 28, you know, it's one of the most comforting verses we find in the Word of God. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Everybody loves that verse. God has a great and a good purpose for every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as wonderful as that verse is, the verses that follow are even more wonderful. For they tell us how God accomplishes His purpose. And it reminds us that it is God Himself who will accomplish our salvation. Now last week we were in verses 29 and 30. This week we're going to be in verses 29 and 30. <laughs> Probably next week. No, this week we're in verses 29 and 30. Verse 29 says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Verses 29 and 30 call uh, contain what Puritan William Perkins called the golden chain. A chain of five links. Uh, foreknowledge, predestination, effectual calling, justification, and glorification. And these doctrines flow from eternity to eternity. As we have already looked at last week, that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. We talked about how before God ever created Adam, before Adam ever sinned and fell and plunged the entire human race into sin, God already knew that was going to happen and created Adam anyway. Because in eternity past, God the Father knew that He would send His only Son to give His life on the cross of Calvary for His people. And there's no greater scope given to the wonderful activity of God and salvation in all the Bible as there are here in verses 29 and 30. We talked a little bit last week. We'll talk some more this week about divine foreknowledge. This is the most important of these five links. It is the first one. It is foreknowledge. This verse does not say that God looked ahead in time, saw who would believe on him, and as a result of that, decided that he would save those. Because do you know what that says if you believe that? You're saying that God learned something. And he is not the one who knows the end from the beginning. But that is not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying that God looked ahead in time. If the word foreknew means that God knows beforehand what people will do in response to him and then determines their destiny on that basis, then what would God see except 
a fixed opposition from every human being toward him. In other words, if God, if it is true that God looked ahead in time and he saw who would believe, we'd all be going to hell. Because no one would have believed. No one had God not called out to us and for. So God is the one who predetermined. That's what that word predestination. It means God predetermined who would be saved in this. So this verse uh, speaks entirely of God and what God does. This verse does, uh, it, it tells us that it is if the hearts of men and women are as depraved as the Apostle Paul has been teaching, one of the things we believe, sorry, wrong side, total depravity. That what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. Back in chapter 3, he said, there is none that does good. There is none that searches after God. If you go back to the flood in Genesis, uh, God says that every thought and intents of men's hearts was only evil continually. You go to the last chapter in the book of Judges, it says that every man did what was right in his own eyes. Both of those apply to the entire human race. All of those still apply to every man and woman today. And if our hearts are as depraved as Paul says, and they are, then what could God possibly see in the human heart except total unbelief? Total unbelief. Foreknowledge means that salvation has its origin in the mind uh, or the eternal counsels of God, not man. Listen, it all comes down to one thing. Now this time I can point over here. It all comes down to one thing, that very last one, to the glory of God alone. To the glory of God alone. That's what salvation, salvation is not about you. Salvation is not about me. We try to make it that way, but it's not. Salvation is all about the glory of God. That's it. We will be trophies of grace. When we walk into the, to, to the beautiful streets of heaven, I'll tell you folks, every single one of us that walks into that place, that walks through those gates, will immediately fall on our face before Christ and say, to you alone be glory. And then I'm going to get up, I'm going to look at Jamie and say, aren't you glad we made the decision to be here? Does that make any sense? No. It's all to the glory of God. Predestination means to determine a person's destiny beforehand. And predestination tells us that having fixed his distinguishing love upon us, that God has predetermined that I will be conformed to the image of his son. You know, in Sunday school this morning, we were talking about joy. What a joy. How, how in, our, in most of our services today, our worship services, we, there, there's not enough joy. We don't show joy like we should. We don't have joy like we should. And one of the things we talked about was the promises of God and how one day I will be like Christ. Sin will be gone. Does that not bring joy to our hearts? 
And it says, Paul says, that we have been, that God has predetermined that we will be conformed to the image of his son. <clears throat> God has marked out a particular destiny for all of his elect. And that destiny is what he says there in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he all predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Let me ask you something. Do you desire to be holy? Do you desire to have true, constant communion and fellowship with God? Do you desire to be like Christ? For every true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that will be our ultimate thing in life. Listen, folks, if you don't have a desire to be holy... I don't care how many services you set in, you need to be saved. Because every true believer in Christ has been predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And as Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, that He who began the good work, who is that by the way? That's God. He, that's God again, will complete it. In other words, I will be conformed to the image of Christ. Not based on what I've done, not based on, not because I'm a preacher, not because I'm good, because I'm not, not because of anything I have done, but because God said, He's mine. And I'm going to make Him like Jesus. You know why God did that? Because He could, because He's God, because He's sovereign. Because God says, I can choose who I choose. And we're going to talk more about this. One. I'll be, I, I thought I was excited about chapter 8, but I'm, I'm excited about chapter 9 too. Because we're going to talk about the great, the wonderful doctrine of election when we get in there. But you see, God called us. He, pre, he has predestined us. He marked us out for, for a particular destiny. There in verse 28 when he says, we know that all things work... Uh, who, we know that for those who love God, all things work together. For in order that those who are called according to His purpose. Those who are called according to His purpose. You know, we go back to this foreknowledge thing of God looking ahead. You know, if, if it was true that God looked ahead, saw that I would believe, and so therefore He chose me, then it would say, for what God foreknew. Not who he foreknew. But that's not what he says. So we, we see that predestination that God has predetermined that all of those whom he have called will be conformed to the image of his son. The next link in this golden chain is what theologians call the, the effectual call. It's important to use this word effectual. Uh, because there are two kinds, two kinds of calling pictured in the Bible. There is the general call. We are to preach and proclaim the gospel to the whole world. Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel. Everyone is to hear it. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, one time said, he said, if God had painted a stripe down the back of every one of his elect." I would go around and I would lift up coattails to see who to preach to. He said, but he didn't. He said, so I'm going to preach to everybody. 
And that's what we're called to do. We're called to preach the gospel. There is a general call to the call for all people to repent, to turn to Christ and be saved. But here's the thing left to themselves. No one will ever respond positively to God. No one left to ourselves. Again, Charles Spurgeon one time said, it's a good thing God chose me because I can tell you I would have never chosen him. And by the way, neither would you. There's a very good reason why we would never have done it. I'll get to that here in a minute. You may have heard it before, but I'm going to tell you again. In John 6, 44, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Now, how do you get any more plain than that? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him to me. I can assure you, folks, that no one in the history of the world ever woke up one morning and said, You know what? I'm just a really bad person and I need to go to God and get saved. No one has ever done that or ever will. Unless God drew them to him. If God is drawing to himself, bringing spiritual life to those uh, who without that call would be to those who are spiritually dead. I think of the story of Lazarus. Lazarus is a picture of every one of us. Now, you need to understand because this is important. Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, they were close with Jesus. They were friends with Jesus. He would go to their house and eat. He, anytime he was in town, he stayed at their house. Well, Lazarus dies. And Lazarus is placed in the tomb. Now, at this point, Lazarus is like every human being on earth. He's dead. Jesus comes along, says, Lazarus, you want to come out? Listen, Lazarus, if you just believe on me and ask me, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you out. Does the Bible read that way? No, Jesus stood there and he said, Lazarus, come forth. You know what Lazarus did? He came forth. Now, there were some who were standing around there. By the way, you know why Jesus said Lazarus? Because if he hadn't, every grave within the sound of his voice would have burst open. And there were some standing there that said, wait a minute, that's not fair. Why did you choose Lazarus and not all these others? Isn't that what we hear today? You know why Jesus chose Lazarus? Because he knew Lazarus. He loved Lazarus. Now, I don't know who was in the tomb next to him, but evidently Jesus didn't know him. And he didn't know Jesus. And this is the effectual call of everyone. Lazarus in the grave is a picture of all every human being who is dead in their trespasses and sins. And, and Jesus calls him forth. And this is how God calls those whom he has foreknown and predestined to salvation. We proclaim the message of the gospel. And I will promise you, folks, every person for whom Christ died will be saved. 
And I can stand and I can proclaim the message of the gospel of how we should repent of our sin and come to Jesus Christ and be saved. And I will promise you every one of the elect will respond. At one point or another, they will. So this is the effectual call. Paul says, uh, those whom he predestined, those whom he determined beforehand would be saved. These are the ones he has called. He has called us. And then the next link in the chain is justification. Those whom he called, he justified. That's a wonderful word. Justification. Justification is the judicial act by which God declares sinful men and women to be in a right standing before him. But notice who it is that justified me. Notice who it is that justified you. It's God. It's God alone. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, Paul says, but by his grace, he has saved us. It is God. It is not on the basis of our own merit. It is only on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But it is Christ who did it. Are you getting a sense of why it's to the glory of God alone? Anytime I try to take any glory for it, or any any uh, anytime I try to think that my salvation is about me, or based on me, or because of me, I have taken glory away from God. And we cannot do that. We notice the order. It is foreknowledge, predestination, calling justification and then glorification justification is never because of our faith by the way it is through faith what does paul say in ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 he says for it's by grace you've been saved through faith but that's not of yourselves it is the gift of god if you have faith to believe it's because god gave you the faith to believe and we are justified in the sight of God because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, here's where I think we, we, we've kind of gotten off. We begin to think that our salvation is about us. We begin to think that our salvation is because of us. Listen, if Jesus paid for 99% of my sin, and I have to cover the other 1%, I'm going to hell. Did you know that? If I could be responsible, if, if salvation was left up to me, I would not be saved, and neither would any of you. Because in and of ourselves, we will never, ever, ever choose God. Now, here's an interesting thing. But I hope we'll illustrate that. <clears throat> As a believer in Jesus Christ, now I've been preaching for almost 35 years. I love the Lord. I try to walk and grow in holiness and be obedient. I try to do everything we're supposed to do. Not because we're supposed to do it, but because I want to do it. But here's my point. When I sin, do you know what my natural reaction is? To run as far from God as I can get. To hide from God, just like Adam did. 
If as a believer I am prone to do that, how much more those who don't know Christ would be prone to do that? None of us want to come and be saved apart from the calling of God in our life and Him and the work that Jesus did on the cross when He died and He bore our sins on that cross. And when He was done, He cried out and He said, It is finished. It's done. It's accomplished. And every person for whom Christ died will be saved. And then there is glorification. That's a wonderful word. You know what's even more wonderful about that word glorification? It's in the past tense. Now, how many of you here feel glorified? How many of you here look glorified? How many of you here are completely without sin? None of us. But yet Paul says, those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Do you realize how important and how wonderful it is that that's in the past tense? Because you see, the simple conclusion is this. Glorification is the culmination of our redemption. Verse 29 will be completed in every single believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul could say, for I know, I am convinced that he who began a good work will complete it. It will be done. God began the work. God will complete the work. Listen, folks, when we are glorified in our reality, see, from God's point of view, this is already done. And one day I will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. I will stand before the throne of Almighty God. And I will be glorified. I will be like Christ. And I will spend an eternity saying, thank you, God. So you're the only reason I'm here. You're the only reason. So we will be glorified. The simple conclusion of all this is to remind us again that these are all things God has done. These are all things that God has done. Do you know that your salvation is not based on anything you do? But it's also not based on anything you don't do. It's not based on anything you say or what you don't say. We are called by God to believe. He gives us the faith to believe. We call on the Lord Jesus Christ. We repent of our sin and we look to Christ in faith and we are saved. Seems simple, doesn't it? But it's not. We must exercise faith in order to be saved. But as we said, even that faith is supplied by God. God has set his love on his elect. He has predestined us to become like Christ. He has called us to be uh, to faith and repentance. And he has justified us. And God will not glorify us. God has already glorified us. 
I don't have the words to express to you how important it is that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, that we stand back and we look and we say, it's already done. It's already done. Because I'll tell you, folks, in my Christian walk, in my pursuit of holiness, I fail more often than I don't. I don't care what my wife tells you, I sin. <laughs> Actually, she'd probably be the one I don't want you talking to. We fail God every step of the way. I fall and I get up. You ever heard the expression, you know, one step forward, three steps back? That's just what I do. That's what we all do. But yet God has promised that he would complete this. You know why? Because that has nothing to do with it. Because it's not about me. May God alone be praised. And may God alone receive glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Father, we don't deserve your mercy or your grace. But Father, we thank you that it is not because of works of righteousness which we have done, but because of your grace that you have saved us. Father, <clears throat> forgive us for thinking that it's about us or based on our merit. May we keep our eyes focused on Christ and Him alone. Father, may we recognize that in our pursuit of holiness, in our growth in holiness, that you have predetermined that we would become like Christ. Thank you for the wonderful, precious promises, Father, found in your word. That you will accomplish the work that you've begun. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that the day will come when we will be able to stand in your presence, clothed in the righteousness of Christ alone. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand.